Okay. Well, I think I've got a microphone, so now I wave my hands around. Every time I make a big point and I wave my hands, you won't hear it, which will be interesting. <laughs> Why don't we pray? Father God, thank you so much that you love us and are good to us. You treat us so much better than we deserve. Lord, you are good. You are more precious than anything this world has to offer. And we come today owning, God, that so often we chase after things of this world. We buy into the lie that, that life to the full is possible without you. Lord, we come today because we have seen that you are the good God. We have seen that you are the fountain of delights. We have seen that you are the one who died for us and rose for us. You are the one who made all things. And you are the one who is making all things new. Lord, when we see glimpses of your character through creation, the beauty of a sunrise or the splendor of a mountain or the, the shapes in the clouds, we see something of how good you are. And then when we think about the fact that you not only made us, but you became one of us and lived our lives, lived a human life, and then died for our sins, you are good, Jesus. I pray that you would help us remember that and to live our lives in anticipation and in hope of who we are going to be with you. I pray that being with you and seeing you face to face would be the thing that captivates our hearts and inspires all that we do. I pray, Jesus, that you would speak into my life because I need this. And I pray that you would speak into each and every one of our lives because we all need you. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, uh, would you turn with me to the book of Psalms? Psalms uh, chapter 84. This might be a psalm. Does anyone know Psalm 84 without looking it up in your Bible? Well, you know, it's, it's one of those psalms. You, some of you might recognize it once we start reading it. Psalm chapter 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing. To enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar, O Lord of heaven's armies, my King, my God. What joy for those who can live in your house always singing your praises. Selah. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Oh God, Lord God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob, 
Selah. O God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord our God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord God of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Isn't that a great psalm? Anyone heard the song, Better is one day in your house? It's a great song. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's one of those verses which I think a few people might have heard over the ages. This week, um, I've titled our talk, Renewed Affections. And I I think just to start off, I want to suggest to us that we have been created by God to be creatures designed to say yes to our desires. We were created to say yes to our desires. If you think about it, we only ever do what we most want to do. For example, uh, Phil, could I get you to come up and be an actor for me? Come up the front. Or I'll get Robin. Robin, come up the front. Robin, could you ask me for my wallet? No, I'm keeping my wallet. It's got nothing in it but my cards, but you can't have it. Now, pretend that you've got a knife and ask me again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Isn't it great that Robin makes a very bad mugger? <laughs> you know what? I might have a desire to keep my wallet. But my desire to not get stabbed is greater than my desire to keep my wallet. And so if somebody comes at me with a knife or a gun and says, give me your wallet, they get my wallet. I always do the thing that I most want to do. And in that instance, I most want to not be knifed. So the question is, why do we sin? Why aren't we perfectly holy like God is? And I want to suggest to you that the reason we sin is because deep down we think sinning is the best option for us. We want sin more than we want what God wants. If you think about it, right at the very beginning of the Bible when we hear about humanity's falling into sin, uh, the the devil comes and, 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 and tempts Eve, but why does she eat from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Because she looked at it and she saw that it looked good and that it was valuable, that it would uh, give her uh, knowledge, that it was something to be desired. She took it because she looked at it and she said, this is something that will be better for me than just trusting God. We sin because we treasure what sin offers more than we treasure God. And we don't often think about this, but but in actual fact, we only ever do what we really want to do. Our desires, our deep desires, our affections 
guide our lives. Sin is, if you want, it's like a mugger with a knife. Yeah, that's right. From now on, when you think of sin, picture Robin. <laughs> Aren't you glad you weren't the model, Phil? <laughs> sin is like a mugger. Not like Robin going, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I could have just said, forget it, Robin, sit down. Sin is like a mugger with a knife because it reveals what the deepest desires of our hearts really are. Our deep desires are what we call our, our affections. They're the things that we love, that we hate, that we treasure, that we despise. They're what affect the way we think, what affect the way we speak, uh, they affect the way that we act. Have a listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. I think Jesus is talking about this, this thing, who we are deep down, what our deepest treasure is, inspires how we live. Our affectations or our affections are the source of our lives. And as we come to Psalm 84, we find a singer, perhaps a collection of singers, it's by the sons of Korah, associated with singing um, in the temple. We find people whose deepest desire was to be with God. Let's have a look at that. Verses 1 and 4. There's three verses in there. Uh, you noticed on the board it said uh, interlude and I said selah. Um, interlude, as good a translation as any. We actually have no idea what the word selah means. But in this instance, it's one of those strange words which appears in the Psalms. And it seems to mean kind of like have a break, have a think. Um, musical interlude perhaps at this point. So there's three verses to Psalm 84. So let's have a look at the first verse. Uh, coming from verses 1 to 4 before the first Selah. And we see there that this is a verse about longing. The first line says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. Uh, and this isn't a song going, Wow, that church is so beautiful. The temple's amazing. Look at it. It's lovely. This is, this is more a, a case of how beloved. How Loved by me, how lovable, how lovely is your place, O oh God. It's loved not because of the beauty of the temple that he's going to. It's loved because that's where God is. The God of heaven's armies is there. And the singer who sings this is saying, I am going to the place where the strong God is, where my God is. And it's beautiful to be there. This, this first verse has a sense of homesickness to it. But it's not homesickness for place, it's homesickness for who is there. Just imagine people sitting in war, writing home to their loved ones saying, how much I long to be back there. To not be here in this place, but to be there. And you know what? Why are they writing a letter? Because there is someone there that they long to be with. 
That's what we have here in Psalm 84, verses 1 to 4. It's a deep longing. He says, my whole being, body and soul, longing to be there. This is, this is like the talk of someone who is separated from their love and just wants to be there. They're jealous of the birds. Even the sparrow gets to make their nest near your altar, O oh God. Sounds like love poetry, doesn't it? Verse 4 summarizes for us there. It says, What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. He wants the joy of being with God. He wants to celebrate being with God. This is a song written by people who thought that being with God was the best thing possible and they were not satisfied with anything less than that. goes on in verses 5 to 8 and it's possible that this was a song that they sang actually as they made their way to Jerusalem perhaps for a festival perhaps this was just explaining their lives in song remember in verses 3 it spoke about the birds making their nests near the altar of God he's saying wow if the birds can be there the altar the temple This place where they would go in the Old Testament times was the place which represented God and God's love for them. They would go to the altar and they would sacrifice sins there. They would find a God who reconciles, a God who forgives, a God who loves, a God who makes it possible for them to to live with Him. This is why he's eager to go there because he wants to be with his God and he wants to know that his God is for him, not against him. As we sang earlier, that is what God says that we are. We are his children. We are chosen. We are not forsaken. We are his. He's a good, good father. They'd have to journey there if they weren't in Jerusalem already and the journey to Jerusalem might not be easy. There would be valleys of weeping. Maybe just really dry places in in the literal sense, but valleys of weeping. Look at verse 5, however. It says, there is joy for those who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You see, this song is written by people who long to be in God's presence. But when we come to the second verse, we realize that as much as they long to be with God, they also recognize that God is with them, that he wasn't absent even when they were away. They wanted more of God and more of God, but even on the way God provides. Places of weeping can become places of refreshing springs because God's people are moving through them, or more precisely, because their God was moving through them with them. There is strength for those whose hearts are on the pilgrim's road, whose deep, desperate desire for God makes them set out even through the wilderness places, who have a deep desire for God. You know, Paul speaks a little bit about this, about what God will do. He says in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, that He, God, will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. What is this? This is the same thing as we see in Psalm 84. This is those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage to God. Paul continues, says, God will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead 
live lives of wickedness. This is people who refuse to set their minds on pilgrimage for God. But, but the focus there, the focus there of this psalm is saying, you know what, there is joy for those whose minds are set on God, who are chasing after God, who long for God, and, and see that even on the journey towards God, God doesn't wait for us to get to Him. God meets us. And brings life to the desert places. He longs to be with God, but, but he knows that he cannot be with God unless God helps him. Which is why, actually, I think in verse 8, he prays to God, O oh Lord God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O oh God of Jacob. He says, God, I need you to help me on the journey. I'm set, I long for you, but I need you. He's willing to endure the valleys of weeping. He's willing to do whatever it takes to be with God because he knows and he trusts that God can save him. And because his desire for God was greater than his desire for the comfort of staying at home or staying with the tents of the wicked. You know, us Christians are also on a journey where we're saved, we're forgiven, but we're being transformed. One day Jesus will return and we will see him face to face and we will be like him. God strengthens his people on the journey. Have a look at verse 7. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus appears the road might be hard or lonely but God is with his people and delights to help them this is a song written by someone who longs to be with God And who knows even on the journey that God is there, that there is strength in God, that even in the valley of weeping, God can bring pools of refreshing. And we go to the last verse of this song, verses 9 to 12, and I think this is the verse of satisfaction. As far as the singer is concerned, one day, One day in the courts of God. In other words, one day in God's presence. One day with God is worth a thousand days anywhere else. He'd rather stand on the doorstep of the temple than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. He'd rather be near God than enjoy all the things that this world offers. Paul came to that same point. He said, you know, Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Psalm 84 says exactly the same thing. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather stand on the doorstep than live the good life anywhere else because being with you, God, is worth more than anything and everything else in the whole wide world. By the way, this isn't just words. This is, I think, a song that comes from deep down. This is a song of someone who is willing to endure the valley of weeping because God is worth this. Why 
was the Lord God his deepest desire? Well, I think we see it in, in verse 11. The Lord our God is our sun and our shield. He gives grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Verse 12. Those who trust in him are full of joy. I think perhaps the reason this songwriter or the people who wrote this song, I think they had their hearts set on God because they had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And everything else was worthless to them compared with being with God. They'd come to know that God is the giver of all that is good and that God is no miser. This is a promise to those who are, who are blameless. Uh, New Living Translation says to those who do what is right, but I, I actually wonder whether we need to take note being blameless is not about being perfect. It's about trusting God. The right thing to do is to run to God. And those who run to Him He never turns away. He is a shield and a fortress to those who come to him. Those who trust him are so blessed. Isn't that a beautiful song? Now, hands up if you could sing that song. I'm not going to ask you to sing, but hands up if this song represents your life perfectly. It's a beautiful song, but you know what? More often than not, it's not true of me. More often than not, I have to look at that question, and especially that first verse, and go, do I yearn? Do I long? Do I faint with longing? Do I have this visceral sense that I cannot do anything if God isn't with me? Next month, we're looking at Joshua. And going into the promised land. And reminds me of Moses standing with God and saying to God, we're not going anywhere if you're not going ahead of us, God. We cannot do this without you. Do I yearn, even faint, to be with God? Heart, body, mind, soul. Does everything within me cry out to be with God? Do I want to be with him, to celebrate him? I hope for all of us the answer is yes. But is it our deepest desire? What do my thoughts, my daydreams, my words, my actions betray about my true affections? A couple of weeks ago, our dog Oscar was really sick. Um, stopped eating, I think it was Sunday, and for the next three or four days, he didn't eat a thing. We gave him tinned food, which, by the way, stinks. But he loves it. He's a dog. Why wouldn't he love it? Special treat for him. He usually has the dry stuff. He looked at it, and he went and lay down. When we're sick, the things that we normally crave... They don't interest us. 
Here's the thing. I cannot guilt myself into loving God more. I can't guilt myself into longing for God more. And I certainly cannot guilt you into it. Guilt does not produce longing. Guilt, more often than not, produces shame. This world and our sinful nature sets our affections on the things of this earth. C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way, uh, considering the promises that God makes to us. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Says C.S. Lewis, we are far too easily pleased. Oh, that we would come to know the infinite value of knowing Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but for me, I long to long for God the way of this psalm every day of my life and every moment. You know, when God is our deepest desire, His kingdom will be the most important thing to us. His will being done will be the most important thing to us. If, if God's is our deepest desire, then we'll be people who live lives that perfectly honor Him. That will be true one day. We will see Jesus face to face. We will be with Him. We will arrive in that final verse of Psalm 84, that final uh, last four verses. We will see Him face to face and we will go, man, this is the best thing ever. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait until I get there. I want that now. And I want to chase after that. How do we change our hearts? How do we change our deepest affections so that we can honestly say of every moment of every day that this psalm is ours, that we yearn, that we long, that everything within us cries out for God, that the strongest thing in us, the deepest want in us is the want for God. How do we get to that point? There's only one way. And that's to come to see the value of Christ. We need to be evangelized. We need to be re-evangelized. We need to be told the good news. We need to be told the good news today. We need to be told the good news tomorrow. We need to be told it this afternoon in between then. We need to be told the good news again and again and again. We need to constantly be told the story of God's goodness and our salvation. We need to remember what God has done for us, how precious He is to us, that He made everything, that He is good to us, that every promise of God is yes in Christ Jesus. We need to be reminded that Jesus died for our sins. Our sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow have all been paid for in Jesus. We need to remember that one day we will see Him face to face, that one day we will live in a world as it should be, where there is no sickness, where there is no sorrow, where there is no disaster, when, where things are exactly as they should be. We need to remember that we have a God who loves us 
and who cares for us and who wants what's best for us and who wants to be with us. You know, that's what Psalm 84 does. This is a psalm of one who longs for God, but it's also a psalm of one who goes through the valley of weeping and remembers God's strength and remembers God's preciousness and remembers God's presence. I think God is in the business of rewiring us. I think God is in the business of renewing our affections. I think what God wants is for us to want Him more than anything else. And since God is the best thing possible, that is the best thing possible for us. He offered His own Son on an altar on the cross to give us a new heart, a soft heart, not one of of stony hardness against Him. And He gives us His Spirit who lives in us gives us new desires, desires that please God, who starts changing our wants. The only thing that can change our deep affections, our deep desires, the basis from which we live, is God. Jesus once asked, um, I forget the exact fruit, but he says, basically, can you pick fruit from a thorn bush? Of course not. But let's remember that we've got a God who made the thorn bush and made the fruit bush and is very able to transform this thorn bush into a tree that bears fruit. Only Jesus' beauty is enough to capture our hearts so fully that our affections change. He is our shield. He is our anointed one. And God, verse 9, looks on Jesus with favor. I'm listening to the screw tape letters at the moment. If you've never read or listened to it, I highly recommend it. And what's brilliant about it is it shows how the enemy, how Satan's goal is really to keep our eyes away from Jesus. Paul says, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Why would we do that? We only ever do what we most want to do. May God show us how good He is. We need to see His goodness. Right now. Five minutes from now. An hour from now. Every moment of the day. Let us speak the gospel to ourselves. That Jesus loves us. Another psalm, put it this way. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Father God, our affections are not always on You. Lord, so often... We betray by our thoughts and our words and our actions that our deep desires are set on things other than you. I pray, Father, that you would remind us how valuable you are 
that the overriding urge within us is the longing to be with you and to see your face on that day and the radiant beauty of it and to see how the darkness flees from you, Jesus. And to see you stepping towards us and looking at us and saying, my child, my child, I have been with you all this time, even through the valleys of weeping, I have been with you. Come, be with me. And the joy when we see you, Jesus, and we look at your face, and we know that despite all that we have been through, despite all that we have been, you love us. That nothing in us can separate us from your love, Jesus. May that image of you with arms stretched out and the demons and the darkness screaming in terror as they rush away from us, as you draw us in, Jesus, may that, may that be in our hearts at every moment. Amen.